tonight, what we're going to be doing is, uh, and really for the rest of the six weeks, we are going to be focusing on uh, two specific portions of Scripture. And uh, basically, we've already said this, but we break down spiritual gifts in three different categories. And those categories are motivational gifts, which is Romans chapter 12, ministry gifts, which is Ephesians chapter 4, we've already gone over that, manifestation gifts, which is 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. For the next three weeks, I'm going to be talking about manifestation gifts, which is basically us going through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in a very thorough way. So that's what tonight is about, but I can't do all of them in one night, so basically for three weeks, I'm going to go through three each night, and we'll go through all nine by the time we're done in three weeks, and then we'll go through Romans chapter 12 for three weeks as well, and I think there's uh, seven or eight of those gifts, and we'll go through them as thorough as we can. So tonight, that's what we'll be doing. I'll go through the manifestation gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, we'll go through three of them, and the three that I'm going over is the word of knowledge the word of wisdom, and the gift of prophecy. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 11, it reads this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uh, unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits. You may have heard the word discerning of spirits, but distinguishing, the word discern means to distinguish between. So they're actually, in the New American Standard Version, they're using that, that word that's, that's really there. Distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, notice the plurality of that, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And we're going to open this up, uh, hopefully, at a deeper level, but first some context for 1 Corinthians and namely 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You've heard some of this before in our earlier classes, but Paul is writing to a group of believers that he knew fairly well. He spent about one and a half years in Corinth, and so he knows the house churches. He knows those that he's appointed in leadership. It had been four to five years since he had seen them, and he'd received reports of their activity, which was primarily negative. And so the things that Paul had been hearing about this church didn't set well with him as an apostolic leader, as a father to these believers. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians in response to a letter that he had received, which we don't have, so we don't know exactly what questions that they had for him, but he also wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, in response to some of the things that he heard. And so it's very important for us to understand that as Paul's writing to them, many of the things that he's writing and the tone, how many of you know tone's important, the tone in which he is writing is corrective. It's remedial. Not entirely, but a majority of this letter is him correcting something 
that they've either asked about in one way or another or he's heard about that needs to be adjusted, it needs to be set right. And so it's important to remember that there's a conversation going on that he's speaking to. A great deal of their bad fruit has come from their immaturity. Imagine a group of people that are seven to eight years old as Christians. Now, I've been a Christian for about 16 years, and before you know it, I'll cross the 17-year line. But these guys had only been Christians for about seven years, and even their leaders, those that he has appointed for leadership, many of them are the same. They're seven-year-old Christians, and so there's a lot of immaturity. They have a lot of false teachers, false apostles that are going through. The Word of God hasn't fully been established. The New Testament had not been written. Paul is writing it at this point that we've adopted into what we call the New Testament. So they, these pagans didn't have the law. They didn't have the moral compass that the Jews were accustomed to. So there's a lot that's going on here that needs to be understood as we see like the tone of this passage is very corrective. And they're really, uh, and in this part of the conversation, he's talking to them about spiritual gifts because while they're exercising spiritual gifts, they're very unfruitful and they have become sort of a selfish people wanting to look spiritual but lacking the substance of spirituality. And that's what he talks to them about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We went over that in one entire session where he lacked, they lack love as they minister. And he said it's like a clanging gong or cymbal. You know, it's like somebody just smashing the drums. The only thing you want them to do is stop, okay? And he's saying that's what your spirituality is coming off as. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Your exercising of spiritual gifts is noisy and, and annoying. And so he's trying to bring them to a place where they can exercise spiritual gifts in a fruitful way, in a selfless way, in a beneficial way. So a lot of these conversations are, are extremely important to them, and we're gaining and gleaning a ton uh, from it. So as we go through this, I want to just sort of list out some very important principles that Paul mentions prior to us just going through the gifts. And here, there's four principles I want to give to you under this section that you have on your notes called Principles for Manifestation Gifts. And the first one is this, manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we just read, he said, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Paul says, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12 are not our possessions. They are the possessions of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, as Spirit-filled believers, have the Holy Spirit. And so when we gather together, we can manifest, which is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work among us, we can manifest the gifts as the Holy Spirit ministers through the body of Christ. And often the way that we look at these gifts is that they are resident gifts. So I have the gift of prophecy and you have the gift of healing. These gifts, the way that Paul structured the language is that because we have the Holy Spirit, these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, that as the situation arises, we can manifest what the Holy Spirit gives to each one as he distributes as he wills. And it matters that you believe this. I want to say these are not our, uh, they are not our possessions. We don't walk around saying, oh, I have the gift of prophecy. We walk around as spirit-filled people. And that when a need arises, we know who we have, not just what we have. And there's a massive difference. But if you believe that you have one gift and you're limited, remember what, remember what Jonathan just talked about, that limitation? Our limitation is really we limit ourselves to what God wants to do through our life. 
But sometimes we build mindsets or these boxes that say, I have this gift, and we're not even open to or available for the other ways in which the Holy Spirit wants to use us as needs come up. It's not like if somebody needs healing, we go, I don't have that gift. I'll call Fred at the church, or I'll call Johan at the church, and maybe he'll come down and pray for you because I just don't have that. I just don't have that gift, you know, or if you're sitting next to somebody at church on Sunday, and they're like talking about how they're hurting, and you just sit there, and you, you feel bad, and you're thinking, man, you should probably go to the prayer team. Friend, you are the prayer team. And the only thing that's limiting us, the only thing that's limiting us is this, right? It's what you believe that limits you. You you realize that, right? And some of you, if you disagree with what I'm saying, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somewhere along the way, we have adopted a mindset that says, I can do this and not that, and this is what this says and not that. But I'm telling you that this is what it's being said, is the Holy Spirit distributes as, as he wills. These are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, evidence that the Holy Spirit is among us and working through us, the body of Christ, I believe this with all my heart, so I'm not limited to what I think about myself. I'm only limited to what I think about the Holy Spirit, and he's a big Holy Spirit. I mean, I didn't get the junior version, right? I don't think there is one. So I'm not limited. I'm only limited by my, by my thinking, and I don't have that thinking anymore. I, I used to when I was under that kind of teaching, but I realized that these are manifestations of the Spirit. So it's very important to uh, realize that. We are in a partnership as we rely on the work of the Spirit through our lives. So we call on him, okay? The second principle is manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. He says each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. These gifts are not given to us for us. They are given to us to flow through us. And so people have said kind of crazy things like, well, if you, if you could really heal the sick or if you really had the gift of healing, then why are you sick? I mean, it's a really simple answer, actually, that when God manifests healing in me or through me, he wants me to minister that to someone else. It does, I mean, hopefully he'll heal us in the process, but the gifts are given to us to, to flow through us. And so we don't want to ask God for gifts so that we can look, feel spiritual. That's what Corinthians were doing. That's what Paul was, was rejecting, was rebuking. He was, he was correcting that. These gifts are not for you to feel, be, look spiritual. They're for you to minister selflessly to other people that have needs, and, and God has the power through his spirit to meet those needs, and you have, that, you have the faith to access that. So in the midst of an environment of hyper-spirituality, God doesn't shut these gifts down. Isn't that amazing? Here's a hyper-spiritual environment, and he doesn't shut it down. He actually course corrects them and says all the more focus on these things but with the right intentions with the right motivations these gifts benefit the whole church and any kind of thinking that we've been exposed to that somehow says the gifts of the holy spirit if we have a negative view of the gifts of the holy spirit we've got to reject that thinking right i mean we're around people and places that make fun of tbn christianity and i understand that there's abuse and maybe some of us come from places and we've seen abusive situations or the way in which people have stewarded gifts, but they're not Jesus and they're not the Bible. I mean, if they've stewarded something wrong, they don't get to be the example for what I should and shouldn't do. The Bible is the example. The Bible is the direction, instruction, correction. It's the one that's guiding us into our our action. And so we can't talk about what so-and-so did with gifts that wasn't appropriate. These gifts are needed for the whole church. And when we are awakened to helping people, all of a sudden, as I've talked to you about before, 
we have this need because we know we can't solve problems without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, without the ministry of the Spirit. We become more dependent on what God gives and less dependent on what we have, right? People don't need our sympathy, right? They need our Jesus, (laughs) They don't need us to feel bad. For, the world doesn't need us to feel bad for them. They need our love. They need the power of God. And we're vessels of the love of God. We're vessels of the power of God. And surely we need that in the church. And I think the church is, is weaker when we're not ministering in the power that we've been given. What if the reality is, is that every one of us comes having a need and every one of us comes having a contribution and if somehow we can figure that Tetris puzzle out, we will be a people that will rise in the power and the authority of Jesus and leave the building in the way in which that we're supposed to rather than guilt, we'll leave empowered, filled up and ready to meet anybody on the street. They're all targets at that point. The manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. The manifestation gifts also address the needs of the whole church. I've already shared this with you, but isn't it interesting? The Holy Spirit knows the need of every person that's in this room right now. You and I are, are, are extremely limited. Some of us are terrible listeners. I'm not naming names. <laughs> I'm not even looking in the mirror yet. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit knows everything that's going on with every person right here and right now, and what we need to do is learn to listen to him, and he'll minister through us according to the needs that are among us. It's what we need to learn how to do more more and more, and the greatest gift, I remember I was at a church one time, and I was teaching on the gift of prophecy, and there was a guy in the back, you may have heard the story before, but this story has repeated itself multiple times, because for some reason, I'm a target for all kinds of strange things, and, and there's predisposed judgments, and you can just read somebody. You know, you don't need the gift of discernment to read some people. <laughs> I mean, if you're just sitting there like this, it, it, you're kind of wearing it on your face. I mean, really, try to disguise it a little bit, you know, it's like, so there's this guy, and he was in a meeting, and I was teaching on prophecy because I was asked to teach on prophecy, and at the end of my 45-minute presentation, I said, are there any questions, and guess whose hand went up? I said, yes, sir, <laughs> you've been waiting patiently for 45 minutes. What is your question? Thank you. And he said, so are you saying that the gift of prophecy is the greatest gift? And I said, and what I did was I read to him 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I said, I'm not saying anything. I'm going to read to you the scripture, and you can determine if that's what Paul is saying. He said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. I'm not saying that qualifies it as the greatest gift, but it seems pretty important. But I said, I'm here teaching on prophecy because I was asked to by your pastor, so that's why I'm emphasizing it. You know, if I was going to teach a series on spiritual gifts, you'd have to come to my 12-week class. So this is sort of common sense I had to remind him of in the moment. But anyways, this is what I said to him, and I'll say it to you. The greatest gift, the greatest spiritual gift is the gift that is needed in the moment that you're in. Right? It's like if you need a hammer and you have a screwdriver, it's not going to help you. Okay? So the greatest gift is always the gift that is needed in the moment that you're in, which is why... We need to look at the gifts, the manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit, kind of like a stick shift. I mean, I don't want to drive one, but I need to know how to use it. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I need to know how to use it. So people aren't necessarily attracted to certain gifts, but you need to know every gift. You need to know the functionality of every gift, the purpose of every gift. And you need to know that you have faith to access those gifts for the benefit of other people because other people have needs, and those gifts can minister to those needs. The Holy Spirit will use you, but you, you can't have a box on your, on your mindset. Amen? The manifestation gifts address the needs of the whole church. The manifestation gifts are available to the whole church. Again, I've said this, but he says in verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And so it doesn't mean that you're not more familiar. Here's kind of my thinking on this. When we, he says five times in three chapters, when you gather. So the context for this particular passage is when you gather. He's talking about the gathering of believers. When you come together, the Holy Spirit knows everything that's going on, and he lives in every person that calls himself a Christian, and he will distribute the gifts according to what he sees and what he wants to do. The, the question is, are we available to what he sees and what he wants to do, or do we constantly step into every meeting with a mind made up on what it is that we are, what it is that we're going to do. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. For example, I've had extensive training on the gift of prophecy, the gift of discerning of spirits. So there are things that I am more predisposed towards based on my training, not necessarily just based on my gifting. If you're under a pastor or an apostolic ministry or a leader and they've had extensive training on a specific gift like healing, well, anytime somebody says, ouch, your antenna goes up because that's the training that you've been under. How many of you in the last like, couple years have come under new training and it has caused your radar, your spiritual antenna to go up to another level? How many of you that's true for you? How many of you would just be honest, and I'm, I'm not saying this to kind of... Uh, boast myself, but many people have come into my ministry and they've all of a sudden begin to hear God a lot more and realizing that God's been speaking to them a lot more. Many of you could probably say that. So you came under a ministry that's teaching and training in the gift of prophecy and hearing God. And it isn't that you're just gifted in that area. It's that you've come under that anointing and that training and God's been training you up in that area. But guess what? You can do that with healing. You can do that with the other gifts, and just because you have a lack of exposure doesn't mean that you're limited in what God wants to use you in in the future. Pursue spiritual gifts. That's one of the things that we talked about last session was that we can pursue these gifts, but we want to pursue them based on being used by God for other people to be blessed, strengthened, encouraged, and comforted, not for us to look spiritual and feel spiritual. It's a big difference between the two. And so just have a clean heart as you move forward. And if you go, I don't know if I have a clean heart, just move forward. And if the Lord corrects you, just say, thank you, Lord, I repent for that. Just keep, but just keep going, you know. I just don't second guess myself. If you want to know the secret to moving forward, it's that you have faith in God and you don't second guess yourself all the time. Is my heart right? Is it not right? Let me just tell you, there's probably a little bit of you in there. Okay, maybe there's a lot of you in there. And there's some God in there, but you've got to grow in maturity right alongside being used by God. And if you're not willing to do that, you just won't be used. And we can't wait around until we're super mature people. You've got to grow in character and in the gifts at the same time. I, I hate teaching that talks about how you have to be like almost practically be perfect. I was listening to a cessationalist, uh, cessationalist preacher, cessationist preacher. Um, his name was John MacArthur. And I'm not saying all of his ministry is bad, but, you know, he does a lot of good Bible teaching, some. 
And, um, but anyways, he was basically making fun of Pentecostals. I think that's very fair. He was making fun of Pentecostals. And he was saying that if God is, this is, if God is giving the gift of healing, he's not going to give it to these crackpots that will just say whatever and do whatever and look like whatever. Why would he do that, these immature, crazy, you know, supposed Christians? Why would he do that? Here's my answer. Because they'll actually step out, Mr. John MacArthur. <laughs> That's, that's a really awesome spiritual answer. It's like childlike faith, buddy. It's really not rocket science. But what, what he's proposing, the undercurrent of what he's proposing is this. He's saying that if God gives these high-level gifts, if, because he doesn't believe that God does do that, but if God does, you have to be the kind of person that could steward that gift in a way in which you would only bring glory to God. Well, I don't think there's any human beings that are going to get used in the case. I mean, I haven't found one yet. And isn't it amazing that God trusts us? I mean, have you ever sat and just thought about that for a second? I mean, here's the deal. Like, I don't think highly of myself, okay? I've always thought of myself as a pretty average person. And so for me, it's like I don't walk into the room and I think automatically, I'm the smartest person in the room, of course. I don't think like that. I just don't. I think, wow, like people are gifted. People are anointed. There's crazy things that are going on in this room. I mean, the people that God's using all of us in different ways, right? Looks differently or whatever. But I've just never thought that about myself. So it's easier for me to think like, wow, God trusts us. I mean, Jesus, when he was walking with the disciples, who, by the way, were just not the pick of the litter, when he was walking with the disciples, It was like, I mean, they're what, a year into this, nine months into this, and he's like, here's power and his big brother authority. Now, why don't you go to all the cities that I'm going to go to and represent me before I get there? I mean, that sounds like a great plan. Trust me, I would not do that with any of you. I'm being honest. Like, I would not do that. It might be your sensitivity. I don't know. <laughs> I love you. Just, just trust, I trust everybody at levels, you know. So, but you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we don't function like that. But Jesus knows things we don't know, and he does things often that we don't do. And he knows what to do. And I'm not suggesting that's exactly how we do it, because we just are following him. We're listening to him. My, my, my simple point is, is that we um, need to be available to, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? Not prideful about it. I love it when people come up to me like, oh, I have the gift of discernment. I'm like, awesome. I mean, half the time, that person's the most gullible person I've ever met, you know? I'm like, you didn't even know a nose was in front of your face, but currently I have the gift of discernment, you know? I mean, it's like sometimes, like, we shouldn't, our gifts will make room for us. We don't need to proclaim them to the world, you understand? They, they, they just don't, we just don't need to do that. But we should exercise them. We should function in them. We should minister them in love and grace and strength. I mean, I, you know, we need to do that. They're available to us. We need to be available to him as he wants to minister. So those are just some principles. All right, word of knowledge, the different manifestation gifts. We're going to do the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the gift of prophecy. Word of knowledge. Let me give you a definition. I think you have it on your handout. It says this, the word of knowledge is a specific message with factual information about someone or something that is given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. 
I think there are a lot of superlatives in there. <laughs> but anyways, my, my main point is this. In some translations, it doesn't say word of knowledge. It says message of knowledge. There are some churches that will teach you that the gift of knowledge is not the gift of a word or message of knowledge. It's the gift of knowledge. And so, for example, they would say that if you have the gift of knowledge, then you like to study. And if you have the gift of knowledge, then you're, you know, full of information. And if you have the gift of knowledge, then you're somebody that's, you know, really, really smart and that's a God-given thing. You're a person that can learn linguistics and languages and it's just effortless for you. I've never met you before, but if you're that person, you know, you have the gift of knowledge. That's, that's not what's being said here. That's not what is being meant here. It's that when you gather together, there is a message of knowledge, a word of knowledge, that word for word, the, the word for word, if you can follow that. When it says message, it means specific. It's, it's a specific word for a, for a specific moment. That's what it's being talked about. It's not this, this general lathering on of knowledge for all time. That's not what this means. It's not what's being said. I just want to separate that in your mind in case you've ever heard that before. It's not the case. So the word of knowledge is a specific message with factual information because knowledge speaks of facts, things that are true about the past and the present, about a person or a people, about something or someone. This is the way that it works. So a word of knowledge can... uh, Uh, Well, let me just give you some scriptural examples before I talk about the function of the word of knowledge. So, there are several examples in the Bible, uh, some positive, some negative. There's a story in John chapter 4, and you see this in the life of Jesus. I think the protocol for trying to understand a lot of spirituals or spiritual things is to look in the life of Jesus, look in the life of the apostles, and then you can see what's evident among us today. That's pretty good theology, actually. When you look in the life of Jesus, the gospels, you look in the life of the apostles, and then you look in what's evident among us today, those that are open. That would be the third component, not what you base theology off on, but if you see theology spreading into the lives of people today, that's actually a very healthy thing because theology is supposed to work itself out in the lives of people. That's what makes it theology. But anyways, so that's what I did, and you see it in Jesus' life in John chapter 4, really verse 15 through 19, but the whole story of John chapter 4 is what we call the woman at the well. So Jesus ends up at this well, and he encounters a woman, and the disciples are away, and I believe they're going to get uh, food at that time. And so Jesus has this encounter, and he tells this woman, would you get me some water? And she's a Samaritan, and he's a Jew, and she feels the necessity to remind him the, that it's necessary to remind him that I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And, and uh, he's basically like, hey, if you knew who was asking you to get this water, you would ask me for living water. And she sarcastically says to him, sir, give me this living water that I will never thirst again. It's this really interesting encounter that I don't have time to kind of bring you Uh, bring you into, but here's what verse 15 says in John chapter 4 as we talk about the word of knowledge. The woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water so I will not buy, I will not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. She's actually saying this sarcastically. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said. (laughs) Isn't that really, isn't that awesome? You're right. (laughs) Jesus said, Never mind, that's just my head there. But uh, you've correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one uh, whom you now have is not your husband. This, is, this you have said truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I think you're a prophet. And then he says, yes, and more than a prophet. 
And what happened there is Jesus had a word of knowledge about factual information that was true about this woman. And he, she, she perceived that revelatory, uh, that revelatory, that manifestation, she perceived that meaning that he was a prophet. He didn't prophesy to her or over her. He just said factual information that was true, like a name, like an address, like a city, like a birth date, uh, like the fact that she's had five husbands. He gave her specific factual information about her life, and she concluded that he was a prophet based on that. This is not something you normally saw in this time and in this culture. So that would be a great example of a word of knowledge in Scripture. There's actually several of them. There's another one in John chapter 1. Uh, as well, there's one in Acts chapter 5. This isn't the best story, but, uh, there's, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. This is in the early church uh, under the apostolic covering here uh, in the Jerusalem council. They sold a piece of property, and they kept back some price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? Oh, my goodness. I mean, would you, I would not want to be on the other end of that. Satan has filled your heart. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? And he was saying, like, this, this was yours to do what you wanted with, but what you did was you sold it, you brought it to our feet, and you made us believe that this was all that there was so that you could look like you were sacrificing just like all of us, but you weren't. You were holding back. And it wasn't even about holding back. It was about lying. It was about making himself look more spiritual than he actually was. That was the hypocrisy of the Pharisees being introduced into the early church. And isn't it amazing how God cut that off? And this guy lost his life as a result of that. And you see that. He says, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. And there was a word of knowledge that happened there. Peter had a word of knowledge. And I would actually go as far as saying there are times where in the Gospels, you, remember, you ever remember where it says, Jesus perceiving their thoughts? You ever remember those? There's several of them in the Gospels. And Jesus knowing what was in their mind. I'm not suggesting that you and I can walk around perceiving everybody's thoughts or knowing what's in people's minds, but I'm telling you there are times where God will put it in our heart, He will put it in our mind, He will reveal to us something like that so it can benefit people, okay, because it's for the common good. He's going to give us words of knowledge that will help people. Now, let me just go through quickly the function of the word of knowledge First, the function of the word of knowledge. Why does God give us words of knowledge? What are they for and what do they produce? The first is healing. God will reveal something in order to heal someone. Uh, I was going to try to make some kind of funny rhyme with every one of them, like he reveals to heal. You know, I, I couldn't, I, I'm just not that creative. But anyways, uh, but God will reveal something in order to heal a person. So if God speaks to us or gives us a word or a vision or a picture that is a word of knowledge, how the revelation comes aside, it can come through a picture, it can come through a scripture, it can come through a sense, an impression, it can come through a vision of some kind. How we receive it aside, because it doesn't, that's not really the issue, but when we receive that, there are times where it can bring about healing. Like, for example, if I knew in this room, I, I remember I was at a church, uh, and I walked 
by, it was like maybe in the middle of the room, there's about as many people there as there are here, and I walked by in the middle of the room, and um, I was demonstrating like just the prophetic and, and whatnot, and there was a woman that was sitting there, and I said, you've had like a heart condition or whatever, and I'm, it kind of looked like I was guessing, and she goes, oh my gosh, yes, I do, and uh, it turned into like this encounter, but I was really just demonstrating, and to be honest with you, I was kind of throwing something out there uh, in the wind. I mean, I did that to my wife one time when we, before we were married. That was really awesome. And she was like, oh, and she actually called her mom. I gave her like a time, a, a, a date stamp, uh, what age she was when something happened. And she had to get on the phone and call her mom to see if that was actually the age that she was when a specific thing happened to her. And she confirmed that that was it. I was just literally, it, it looked like I was pulling it out of thin air. So you got to be careful when you're you know, doing this stuff. You might, you know, God might go, hoo-hoo, you know, I'm here. It's, what's really going on? <laughs> and all of a sudden you're in a place that you, and, and you got to like get serious like real quick. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> of course. But... Um, but the Lord, you know, the Lord factors in your stupidity. I'm just, wor- I mean, I'm just, I, I'm actually not joking. <laughs> We're all weird, right? And we get all serious at church, but we all have some like weird tendencies and we try to be like, you know, no, I'm, I'm you know, it's me. You know, it's like, no, nah, we're all kind of quirky in one way or another. I'm not saying we're all crazy. I'm just saying we're all kind of quirky, and that's okay. And God factors that in, and he'll use you. Maybe not your quirkiness, but my point is he'll use you despite some of the things that we are and are. It's funny. It's just, I love it. I love diversity. I just do. I'm not trying to make clones of me. Gosh, we don't need another one of me. We need one of you, you know, we need one of you. We need where you are right now, and we need you to grow, okay? But we need where you are right now, and we need you to step up. So I love that, and, and the Lord uses that kind of stuff. But, like, there'll be a physical pain, for example, and this, there was another time where I was at a church, and I had this pain in my neck, and it just wouldn't go away, and I've had that a, a few times. God uses some people like that a lot more than with me, but I get that sometimes where I'll have, like, a pain in my neck, and it just won't go away. And then before you know it, I'm like, does somebody have like a pain in the right side of their neck? And it just won't go away. It goes all the way. And as I share it, it all of a sudden, it be, it ex, the word expands. Because when you give the little that you have, it's like a seed. And that seed starts to grow real quickly. Pain in their neck and the right side, it goes all the way down to your shoulder. And I think it was an accident of some kind. And you don't have full mobility in your right arm. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've given this really specific word of knowledge. And then the person in the back's like... Yeah, that's me, you know, because they can literally demonstrate it, you know. And, and that's happened, and then we prayed in Jesus' name because the reason that the word was brought forward was to bring healing to the person that had the condition. And what we need to realize is that when God gives words of knowledge, they're not so that we can get overwhelmed by the supernatural nature of the, of the word itself or the fact that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was used like that. Some people get a little too excited. You're like, hey, calm down. Welcome to the party. Some of us have been here for a while. I'm really glad that you're here now. But, but, but you know what I'm saying? They like want to shake you. Gosh, did you see that? I can't believe that happened. Like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It's like normal, but, um, but that's my point is, is that God will use that, and you've got to be aware that he's bringing that out so that somebody can be healed, not like the Corinthians where they could feel spiritual and go, oh, look what I did. Wow, I, I, I had a word of knowledge. It was great. 
Well, it's, it's funny because people, there are a lot of people out today that will minister like names and addresses and phone numbers. And if there's not something in addition to that, and I'm not against that, I think that's great. You know, I think that's really powerful that people can know that kind of insight. But I already know my address. You know, and I know my name. I mean, I've been writing it on paper since I was young. But we need to know God knows our name, but God's doing something with that information. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, it's really cool. I love to have great meetings. Like, oh my gosh, that was a really cool meeting. But the thing we're not trying to do is walk away from a meeting and go, man, that guy's really cool. Man, that gal is really prophetic. Do you really think that's what God wants us to do? Man, that guy, man, I can't, I can't wait to get that book. Man, that guy is, that, that guy is amazing. He knows addresses. <laughs> he knows my address. I mean, I know my address too, but he knows it. And we've never had him over for dinner. It's cool, and I like it, and I'm, I know it sounds like I'm making fun. I'm not making fun, but at, this, at the end of the day, like, I feel like, as a Pentecostal, as a charismatic, I feel like we get too overexcited on information without something that comes after the information is given. You say, how do you know that? Because I've been doing this long enough to know. People get really excited about being used, and they just forget about the person that's being ministered to. It's like, who cares what happens to the person, man? We got something right for heaven's sakes. And I'm not asking for agreement. I see it happen all the time. I see it happen all the time. So what I'm saying is not let's not get more specific information. I want us to have more specific information. I want our words to be accurate. I want them to have this kind of stuff. But I just don't want us to stop there. I want healing to happen. Words of knowledge are like keys that open doors, so that a person can get healed, that a person can get delivered, not just so that I can get excited. Do you understand what I'm saying with you, okay? I'm trying to bring Pentecostalism so that it's to a place of fruitfulness. I mean, I see people get excited and then get not, not get excited, and then they're like depressed the next day, and all like, I just need another word of knowledge. Can somebody else tell me my address? How about we start walking with Jesus? <laughs> There's a word of knowledge for you. All right. I don't know how that'll come off. I'm just, there's a place of maturity that I'm saying we can come to. I don't want to discourage this, 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 this stuff. I want, I want us to do this stuff. Now, deliverance. God may reveal an emotional wound or an event of a person's past. You know, like for me, I, I, I really, man, I don't have time to get through all this, but, um, you know, I get stuff in weird ways. So, like, I'll receive a revelation about a person that I'm praying for and uh, I believe this, I don't know how to explain it, but I believe that your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Amen, everybody's heard this? Okay, so I'm not going to go over that. Mind, will, and emotions. Mind is the way you think. Emotions is the way you feel. And your will is basically like the will to do. It's like that, it's like that part of you that's fortified to step forward and to move, to move into something. It's, it's, it's the active part of you. You move into a thing, okay? So your mind, the way you think, the way you feel, and your will but I also think your soul is made up of events. And I don't know how to explain this to you, but as I minister to people, I minister to thousands and thousands, I prayed for thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. And something that I figured out, I don't know, maybe halfway through my journey, which is limited to some degree, and, um, and I haven't seen it all, okay, but something I've found is that there are these events that happen in our past, and it's kind of like lava flows into our life and then it hardens into our soul. And we become a certain person and it's based around that event. Like something 
has tragically happened to us. Maybe a mom or a dad died or a child has died or somebody did something to us or we did something. And it's like lava that hardens and the word of knowledge sometimes will come about that event to explode the hardness of that, soften it to God's healing power so that he gets in there and begins to massage that thing and transform it. I don't know how a better way to say it than that, but they del- there's a delivering power in a word of knowledge. There's a delivering power, a deliverance. It will break the rock, you know. And so um, we need these keys, the words of knowledge. We need these keys, okay? We need them. Uh, also, correction, there, that speaks for itself. But uh, the word correction just means to set something right, to make adjustments, and to rebuke. Correction keeps us from falling off the cliff. We need it. Revelation is actually a, 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 it's a it can cue correction. I, I think that um, it's not always that God's trying to correct us. It's that he's trying to keep us from a place where correction, real correction is actually needed. And words of knowledge can, can actually stop us before we go, <clears throat> we go through the guardrail. You know, we're trying to stay on the straight and narrow path, not fall into any ditches, and there's words of knowledge about places that we are and things that we're doing, not to embarrass us, not to shame us, but to stop us from going too far, and I've, I've seen that many times. I've been a part of that. I know there's movements today that actually say that God will never give negative words, and what ends up happening is people tend to think like anything that sounds remotely negative is not from God. It's not true, because that can be suspect to what somebody thinks is negative. What if what if what you need to hear keeps you from falling off a cliff? What if what you need to hear will stop you from jumping in to an affair? What if what you need to hear, I mean, God's not just about being nice and happy. He's about saving our lives. <laughs> and I'm available to words that will save somebody's life, save somebody's soul, that will open somebody's heart. I'm available to that. I don't have some kind of mindset that's got to be like happy all the time, like you're called to the nations, and matter of fact, every nation, and you are gonna, you are the best person in the world, you know. I mean, there are words that will save your life. And I think that's a place of maturity to steward those kinds of words. I don't think that, uh, that everybody can carry that, but I want to be the kind of person that can hopefully walk before the Lord, and I want to train people to walk before the Lord in a way where we would steward words of a sensitive nature in a way where we're not embarrassing or shaming people, but we're helping people walk with Jesus in the way that brings life and freedom and hope and love. And so I, I, I have a little sensitivity to when people say, like, all words from God or, or words of knowledge have to be like this, this kind of happy, clappy kind of thing. I, I just go, well, what does that mean, though? What does that mean to everyone when they hear that? Because I know that when I speak and I say X, some people hear Y. And so when I say all words from God are kind and nice and this and that, I believe that in a sense, but I think that other people, when they hear that, they're not hearing what some would mean by that. They're saying if it even remotely sounds negative at all, even though I'm living in sin, if it remotely sounds negative at all, it's not from God. Well, it probably is. And I'm not suggesting that harsh prophetic people have the right to speak the way that they want. That is not what I'm saying. I think we need to weigh words, of course. And the last functionality of a word of knowledge is that it's prophetic. Um, words of knowledge can be a cue for a prophetic word. It helps to prepare a person to listen. And what I mean is, is that when God gives factual, specific information 
to someone for another person, if I give you that information and you say, yes, that's true, that opens the door for then me to prophesy about what God is going to do because all I've told you what is true, but now I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. So these gifts are like they're interdependent on one another. Some work with each other in a way where you'll see them all the time function together. One is just the building block to another. And I'll show you kind of how that works, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and, the, and prophecy. And I function by past, present, future. It's just a systematic way that I think when I minister to people prophetically. If God gives me something of somebody's past and I give them that information, I know that he's inviting me in to prophesy over their future. It's just the way I function. I think that way. Automatically, I'm asking the Lord, okay, what are you doing in this person's life in the future? We'll talk about that in just a second. So that's the word of knowledge. The word of wisdom, here's the definition. The word of wisdom is a specific message that provides a wise strategy or a practical application for a specific circumstance. The word of wisdom is a specific message or it's a message that provides a wise strategy or a practical application for a specific circumstance. Wisdom speaks of the application of knowledge and almost always, not always, but almost always refers to a present situation, something that you could have been going through for a long time, but you, you have, you're, in, you're in the present, it's in the present right here, right now. Proverbs 25.11 is a very great verse for this. It says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like apples of gold, gold was precious in this culture, but silver during Solomon's time was common. Have you ever read that in the scriptures where silver was common? So apples of gold, was gold was precious, it was valuable, it was costly. Silver was common. Not like dirt, but it was not expensive, okay? It was like our stainless steel. And so he's saying that a word that is spoken at the right time to the right person in the right circumstance, a word that is spoken in that setting, right, in a common setting, it's like an apple of gold. It's like the most precious thing that you could, you could desire. That's what a word of wisdom is. It can be given in a one-on-one. -on -one. It can be given from a person on a stage. It can be given to, from somebody over the phone. But it can be a wise strategy that clicks something in your mind and in your heart to all of a sudden know what you need to do in the circumstances that you're in. And as we ask the Lord for wisdom, we're asking him for wisdom, but how is God going to give you that wisdom? Often God will give us wisdom through the word. He'll give us wisdom through another person. He'll give us wisdom uh, from a word that he'll give to us, but he uses the body to minister those specific words of wisdom and I'm thankful for that. How many times have you been on the phone or sat with somebody even just for coffee and you're gathered with a person and they just say something and I call it like that has teeth on it. I mean, it just goes in your soul and it just grabs and as you walk away, it doesn't leave you because there's something of God on that. And there's a strategy to it. It's, it's practical enough for you to implement right now. So it's a right word at the right time for the right person in the right circumstance. That's what a word of wisdom is. And I gave you some, some words of wisdom, like some scenarios where that could be um, the case in Scripture. I don't have time to go through it. But the function of a word of wisdom is that it's strategic. <clears throat> it gives you some practical application. It's insightful. I mean, you might know what you need to do, but the word of wisdom will come to say, yeah, that's what you need to do. Okay. <laughs> Often that's what happens to me. Somebody will say, uh, just a very simple phrase, and I'll go, yeah, that's what I need to do, <laughs> and it was a word of wisdom, 
And I knew that what I was thinking was God's wisdom. And thank God that he confirms that through the body often. Another thing is that it's timely. There, there are these moments where things are pending and we need to hear from the Lord. And often we're not even maybe looking in the places in which we receive it. But it, these words of wisdom are very, very timely. Um, again, wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's not knowledge itself. It's that we have some knowledge, but we need to know, we need to know what to do. My wife, my wife and I were in a circumstance one time, and we were praying. We were asking the Lord for wisdom. What do we do? Matter of fact, we had pretty much done everything that could be done in our minds. Like We had exhausted all of our resources. We have done what we know to do. And I just was on the phone. I was on a drive, a 10-minute drive from here to home, and I was on the phone with a person, and they were not even privy to my situation at all. And they, what they said was like, that is exactly what I need to do. And they had no idea why I was that excited. But here's my point. Are we available to the body ministering to us by the Holy Spirit? And that doesn't just mean for us to get that word, because again, the, the words are often given to us to minister through us. And usually that's direct, but it can also happen indirectly. I'm available for business at any time in any circumstance, so I'm looking for God to use other people even if they're not intentional about it. And so words of wisdom will come if we're available, and the more available we are, I believe, the more we'll hear from the Lord in these ways. So third one and the final one is prophecy. Prophecy is to hear from God for a person or a people and to speak what God is saying. Now, that's just my breakdown practical uh, demystifying definition. I've heard others. I've got many books on it. But that's my definition. It'll be in my book coming out to a theater near you. Prophecy is to hear from God for a person <clears throat> or a people and to speak what God is saying. And so prophecy is to foretell the present priorities of God. It's to speak forth from God's mind and God's heart into a present priority, something that is going on right now, and it's also to foretell, which is to speak about something before it happens. It's to foretell and to foretell. A prophet will prophesy, but not everyone who prophesies is a prophet, and that's very important to know. A prophet has authority. We talked about that last session in the conclusion to Spiritual Gifts Part 1. Prophecy is a supernatural revelation from God for another person, and it must be spoken, this is why I wrote a book called Hearing God and why I'm writing a book on prophecy because hearing from God is defined by revelation. You can hear from God and it not be a prophecy, but you can hear from God because the sheep hear his voice. They know him and they follow him. But a prophetic word is where God speaks to me for someone else and I speak that word. I prophesy. It's a declaration. It has to be spoken. A lot of people, um, and I've been training people in the prophetic for some time, I hear this all the time, well, I knew that was going to happen, or God spoke to me about that, and, um, and they say it always, I call it retrospective prophecy, looking back, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you knew everything, didn't you? <laughs> so it's very convenient that you know everything that happens after it already happens. Anyways, now that does happen where God will call us to pray, there's prophetic that God will give so that we will pray, and, and we should and ought to do that. But prophecy in and of itself, the word prophecy is defined by speaking, okay? It has to be spoken. It's a speaking word. It carries declaration in its very definition. There are three primary ways that you're going to receive a prophetic word for someone else. You're going to hear something, you're going to feel something, or you're going to see something. 
It's hear, feel, or see. Now, there's more outside of that. I'm just giving you like the general categories. We're going to hear an internal voice or an external voice. I don't hear the audible voice of God. I know people that have and do. I don't. I hear an internal voice. And the Holy Spirit lives in me, so that kind of makes sense to me. But I hear an internal voice. So we hear something. And often God gives me a lot of phrases. I don't, God doesn't give me like paragraphs. When I hear people talk about, you know, God spoke to me and they get a I'm like, whoa, man, you got, you got the 411 on God, man. And I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't buy it, so it's just being real straight with you. And I wrote a book on it, so what do I know? But No, seriously, I think people say God spoke to me, and, and most of us, I mean, if you're being hand over heart honest, so been been a Christian, I'm, I'll be going on 17 years, and the more that I have walked with the Lord, and the more I hear us beautiful, wonderful, maybe you're not a charismatic, but charismatic Pentecostals say God spoke to me, the less I feel like I understand what people mean. And I believe in this stuff. You can't believe in the prophetic more than I do. You can believe in it as much as I do, but you can't believe in it more than I do. But that doesn't mean that I'm wide open for everything everybody says. Do you know that prophecy has got to be weighed? And we, we suck at that. I mean, I, I'm, I, I go to a lot of churches and I barely ever see prophecy weighed, ever. Ever. I mean, I can honestly count on one hand when I've seen it. And I go to a lot of churches. I can count on one hand where people actually take that word and they put it out here and they go, we're going to consider that. We appreciate you sharing that word. I, it doesn't happen. And that's part of why the currency of thus saith the Lord is so low. Because when we say God spoke to me, there's not accountability, therefore there's not credibility. Where there's not accountability, I mean, there's a lot of incredible ministries. I would prefer credible. <laughs> it's kind of my pun there. You might have missed that. It's all right. But I would prefer the credible. I want prophecy to be fruitful. Don't you want it to be fruitful? Prophecy, it, when a prophetic word comes, it has the power to confirm. It has the power to unlock but if all we're doing is we're giving these prophetic words that are like sugar pills, where people have a sugar pill and they go, mm, that tasted really good, and all they want is another one, I'm just asking a question, is that the prophetic ministry? Is that the biblical prophetic ministry? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I, just we need to ask these questions. And so what I think we need to do is if we're in a lower, lower level of the prophetic, I don't want to put that down, but I want to learn how to raise that up. Instead of just tolerate it, I want to encourage it to go higher. And we do that by accountability. We do that by encouragement. We do that by training and ensuring that we're growing to a place where we're hearing God on a higher level and we're not taking it for granted, walking around saying, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. I mean, I was in this one church one time and I'll just kind of leave all that out, you know. And everybody in the world, God told me this and God told me that. I'm telling you, I didn't hear God one time in that church. And I went home and almost cried in my hotel room. I mean, honestly, it was like, what is going on? And I'm like supposed to be, like they invited me, I'm the hearing God guy. And I felt like a, a duck out of water, a fish out of water. I just felt really uncomfortable. And especially young people, you know, like, let me just give you some pointers. Like, if, if, you're, if you're just growing in the prophetic, don't say, God told me to tell you. Just say, I'm, I have a sense, you know, that this could be from the Lord. Would you pray about it? 
You following me on that? Like, we don't need to, like, drum it up. We don't need to make an event out of it. I'm done with the hype. Like, let's share words that actually bring forth fruit. They produce something. So I've been in our church for 13 years almost, my wife and I. And when I say, when I get up and our, pastor, our senior pastor, when I say that I believe the Lord spoke this to me, people will listen to what I have to say because when I've given words, they've actually either happened or we've been accountable with those words. And that's why credibility is so important. That's why we just don't want to let every Tom, Susie, Harry come through and say whatever they want. That's cheap. It's cheap. I'm not saying we don't need to activate but it doesn't mean that we're going to take that into our elder team and really process that because we don't know your ministry among us. We might consider it because we need to before the Lord, but this ministry, the prophetic ministry, has different levels, and we need to understand the levels that, that, that they are, that they are and, and how to use what God's giving and what it's for. I, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But we hear something, we feel something, those are impressions or sense. You know, the Hebrews used to, in the, the older language of Hebrew language, a lot of their words were associated with body parts because that's just what they had. You know, when you get to Greek language, it's often associated with very external things, like you have the Olympic Games, and so a lot of words would be associated with the games, and they would understand. Like the word in Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and the word wrestle was associated with wrestling in the Greek games, and they knew that. If you said that, if Paul said that in their culture, it would have brought in a visual to their mind, and they thought, oh man, we wrestle, we're wrestling against principalities and powers to pin them. That There was a visual. It's alphanumeric language, both of them, but in the ancient Hebrew language, it was often associated with body parts, so when you think of sense or you have this perception or you have this feeling, it was like a gut feeling, like you feel it in the gut, and that's where that comes from. It actually comes from ancient language when we say those kinds of things today, like I, feel, I have this feeling, I have this gut feeling. <laughs> this comes, comes from some, somewhere, and those are impressions. We have that sense. Often in the church, where it's very negative, though. And so we, I have this bad feeling about this person. And what usually, that can, be, that can actually be true, that can be from the Lord, but if you notice that your discernment or your sense, your prophetic sense is often negative, that probably means you need a level of deliverance, um, probably. Because if you're, if you're too negative that you're not seeing what God is saying, you're not seeing what God is doing, you're not hearing what God is saying. Like if I, if I, have, this, if I have this sense that somebody's walking in a high level of, of, of impurity, Sure, maybe the prophetic is coming so that I provide a level of protection, but my prophetic word to them is God is calling you to purity. I'm going to call them out of that because they're made in the image of God, and surely that's not where God wants them to stay. Amen? So it's very important that we kind of see these things rightly. But anyways, hear, feel, and see. Visions, dreams, pictures. There's 234 references to dreams and visions in the Bible. I mean, that's a lot. And so there are dreams and there are visions, and their vision is also a picture, like you could see a picture in, in your mind, in your heart, and that happens um, often. When we were praying for Johnny tonight, you know, I saw like a flask. It was almost like a, you know, like in those old, uh, the, the genie that comes out of the, you know, what are those things? La yeah, like a lamp where the genie would come out of it. I saw like a lamp with oil in it pouring over you, and it was the healing anointing of the Lord that you're going to carry that, that it's upon you. The healing anointing of the Lord is upon you. I saw that in a vision when we prayed over you. Just, just poured the, the, the anointing of healing poured over you. 
And so we just, that's why I prayed it. I prayed it out prophetically because I saw it. So I pray sometimes what I see prophetically. And um, as you, you know, he says, our, in Acts chapter 2, he says, the old will dream, driven, dream dreams and the young will see visions. And I think both are true for, for young and old and women and men and young and old. It's genders, generations, and nations. The Holy Spirit is poured out on that we might see and hear and prophesy. And so there's many references here to the prophetic, but the one is 1 Corinthians 14, and I got to wrap this up right here and right now. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not, do, does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And here's some functions of the prophetic. The first is to strengthen. This means that a prophetic word will build someone up. It'll make them stand tall. There are a lot of people that hold their head down. And when you prophesy who someone is, we call that prophesying by God's design. Often the Lord will give metaphors about a person, and we can prophesy those metaphors. You're like a strong tower. You're like a foundation. I call that prophesying by God's design. That there are visuals, there are metaphors, there are pictures that we see about people that strengthen them and cause them to not hang their head down but be able to look up and uh, in the dignity and the honor uh, that they should have as followers of Jesus. And so they st- the prophetic words strengthen, they encourage, they exhort. The word encourage and exhort, it's interchangeable in this context. It means that it will stir someone, challenge them to conquer, you know, and you just you face this something that's wore you down. Your will has just been weakened. You know, for example, a lot of people that get stuck in like sexual sin and their will has been weakened and they can't hear the prophetic. They just, it's like they hear it and it just falls flat. You know, I can't, I can't carry that. But the prophetic will come sometimes and it'll cause them to like have a sword in their hand and like I can conquer the thing that has wore me down. And the prophetic brings a deliverance of sorts when it's spoken. I want to tell you this, that there is authority in the words that come from God. That's why they need to be spoken and prayed over. So there are times where it's not just a word, and that's why we need to be available to these words, and we need to give these words, because there's a time where when we speak a word, it will cause somebody to rise up and do what God has called them to do. There's a story in our church where there was a guy that was stuck in the trap of, you know, pornography. I don't want to say there's a young man here, sorry. But he was stuck in that trap for years and years and years, and, and they've shared this testimony. It's so powerful. He came out to his wife, and he knew that if he came out to his wife that she was going to leave him or shame him. And he just knew it. He knew, like, if I tell you I've had these years and years and years of lying to you about this thing that you're just going to hate me, you're going to leave me. And he tells this story where, he, she, where she grabs his face and she says, that's not who you are. She didn't shame him. And it's like four years ago from that time, he's never looked at it again. Those words were as prophetic as anything you can imagine. She looked in his face and said, that is not who you are and you are not going to be this. And he never went back. What if we're carrying the power of God in our words, but because we're too busy being hurt by everything, we're not speaking in the name of Jesus? We're carrying power. 
His words are not just going to fall flat on the ground. When you believe in Jesus and you speak in the authority of his name, something happens in the environment. Something happens in people's soul. We're intimidated by it. People are scared. Oh, that person's prophetic. (laughs) Don't be scared of anybody that has a prophetic gift. I walk up to people and go, look right into my eyes. What do you see? Give me your best shot. I'm not kidding. Give me your best shot. You're going to see cleanness in these eyes. Go for it. That's what you should do. God loves you. God loves you. He wants to speak so that you can stand tall. Sure, where he's bringing us out of some stuff. But prophetic is going to call you right out of it, and it's going to give you their power in those words. Their power in those words. It comforts. It cheers up. So we build up. We stir up. We cheer up. You know, it's not just saying um, to somebody, God works all things out to the counsel of his will. You know, it's not just, a Bible verse carries the power of truth generation to generation, but it's not just slapping somebody on the back and saying, you know, it'll get better. What if there's a word from the Lord? What if we just sought God for 15 minutes for somebody that was going through hell, and we were able to bring that to them? And even if they didn't smile or get excited or jump up and have a party, but when we walk away, that just reverberates, it resonates, and something goes off on the inside of them that carries them through the night. Do you see what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're carrying the power of the Lord. And so all we really need to do is just ask. By faith, if we believe that God's given this stuff to us, we just need to ask him. We need to seek him, and God will use us very, very powerfully to comfort and to confirm. God will confirm that which he is saying to you or to someone through a prophetic word of another. It's body ministry. It's where we need each other, where God's speaking to us, but we need a prophetic word. And, um, man, I've got some really good um, examples for that. We had a guy come one time. He was sitting right where Johnny is, and he came into one of my meetings, and I just looked at him, and I saw a picture of an ocean. I saw him standing on the shore, seashore of an ocean, and it looked like the West Coast in California to me is what it looked like because I've been there, and it looked nice. And, um, and it was just kind of a weird thing, and here's what I said to him. I just said, I see you standing on the seashore, and it's the ocean, and I see the tide coming in. And then I transitioned, and the Lord gave me a word about, you know, God's going to call you to plant a, plant a church and to raise up unconventional kingdom works where other people aren't willing to go. You know, this guy was literally on his way down to San Diego to plant churches among the beach bums. That's, that's, it, the guy literally starts laughing and crying, and then the next thing you know, he was up here testifying about what God had just, they, they had packed up all their stuff. This was the last meeting that they were going to have in Seattle. I've never met him before. And they're on their way somewhere. And then this guy says something. I have no idea what I'm saying, honestly. And that's what happens. Isn't that amazing? But you know, it, it wasn't because I'm amazing. It was because I'm available. The last thing is reveal. God will often reveal something to us through a prophetic word that we didn't previously consider. The prophetic doesn't just confirm. The prophetic also reveals 
it will open a door that you might have certain limitations right now. Maybe you don't think, well, I'm not a writer, or I don't like kids. I've heard that before, too. I prophesied over somebody one time. I said, I see you working with children. I see children, and I see different ethnicities, and they look South American to me, blah, blah, blah. And the gal was just like this. I mean, she was non-penetrable. <laughs> She's like, I, I, can, I, can I be honest with you? I go, absolutely. I don't like working with kids at all. Is that bad? I go, kind of. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you were one. I mean, it's sort of bad. But, I mean, there's that part of it. But I think it was like a year and a half later, this gal was not just a children's worker, but she was on the mission field, and she had helped, like, literally launch a children's ministry that was going through this city, and they were bringing carnivals from one town to another within a year and a half. I love getting those emails. Like, remember that time where I made you look stupid prophetically in front of everybody? I go, absolutely. <laughs> Are you willing to look stupid? You know, are you? Or do you got to look cool? Do you got to be right all the time? There's a lot of people that think a lot of things about me. They're going to think that about you too when you get available. They're going to mistake your availability to the Holy Spirit as something that is weird or odd or strange. Are you going to be okay with that? And I'm not saying your weird, strange, odd parts of your life should be justified. Maybe some of that stuff should go away. But I'm, I'm specifically referencing being open to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm asking you, are you available and are you willing to be available if there's a cost to it? Or will you run when the cost is, has to be paid? Are, are you going to run because you have to explain yourself and you can't get rejected? And, and, you know, just reject rejection. And don't take it personally. I mean, do you know, it took me like 10 years to figure that one out right there. It's so easy for me to say it now. Don't take things personally. But, you know, I did for at least 10 years. But if you want to be used by God and you want to see people helped, you sometimes have to weed through the people that don't like what you're doing and you just go to the people that need your help. And that's the point here. That's, that's the point. The gifts are given for the common good. And if there are people that don't want to receive from you, that's okay. Just find the people that need something the most and go to them. That's what we're, we're after here. We're not after being somebody or we're not after feeling, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is very, very vital for the church to grow in, but often we're hindered or we're stopped because we don't like paying a price. We want everybody to like me. I want everybody to think well of me. You've got to let that go. You've got to let that go now because they don't anyway. So you might as well let people think what they want to think because you're doing something righteous and right and good. In the head.